Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Hue Capital Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Jaleesa Juju Fontaine. I just want to thank you all once again for tuning into my new baby, Hue Capital, which was honestly created not only as a COVID solution, but most importantly, as a personal career and business solution. And I'll be sure to explain that a little bit more soon. The purpose of this podcast is really to introduce you all to influential black and brown leaders, innovators, and founders. As we take the time to dissect the intersection of business, tech, and culture across numerous industries. Through this podcast, not only will you be introduced to insight surrounding some of the most extraordinary means of building the career that suits your passions and also gives you a sense of what it really means to build and or create a business that makes social impact and of course generates revenue. Hey everyone, thank you all so much for tuning in to the second episode of Hugh Capital with yours truly, Jaleesa Juju Fontaine. Um, I'm so happy and so overjoyed to have Latoya Westbrooks with us. She is actually the UX researcher at Facebook and she also is a founder of her own platform. So I'm not going to talk too much. I actually would love for you, Latoya, to kind of introduce yourself to everyone and give them an idea of who you are and what you represent. Hi, everyone. Um, Thank you so much for that warm welcome and introduction. I'm excited to be here. Yes, it's going to be a great great chat. Um, So I work in the tech industry as a UX researcher. I like to tell people what that stands for, because even before I got into the industry, I didn't know what UX stood Mm -hmm. for. It's a user experience and not to get too technical, but basically my role is to conduct research for users, um, depending on the platform that I work for. So at Facebook or any other tech company that I work in the past, I work for in the past, I ask questions, I survey, I interview and just really speak to our users to understand what their needs are. And then I deliver that information back to the product team and to engineers and to designers and they build that out. Yes. So a snip shot of what I do um, in layman terms. It's not too technical. But that's on the Facebook side. You're also the founder of your own platform called Wealthly. So let them know a little bit about that also. Yes. So Wealthly is a financial literacy and coaching platform. Um, actually, before I transitioned into tech, I worked in financial services for over ooh, 10 <laughs> years now. <laughs> um, so really traditional finance background. Like I went to school for finance. Um, I'm from originally from Miami, Florida, came to New York, worked on Wall Street for two years, yeah. got into banking um, at Citigroup and then JP Morgan. And then after seven and a half years in banking, I switched over to what's called financial technology, FinTech. And I worked at Betterment, which is an investment app company. But after all those years of working for other people, I had all this wealth of knowledge and I realized like I wanted to educate my own community. Um, so women, Black people, brown people, immigrants, which is what I identify as. My family's not from the U.S. And really teach them how to build wealth. Like I was tired of my clientele being, you know, wealthy, you know, white men who already know how to do these things. I took all all those years of knowledge and now I'm giving it back to the people I think who need it the most. And I love how you kind of talked about the fact that you come from an immigrant family, right? I think that a lot of times when we're introducing ourselves, we're never really sure of how we should identify ourselves, right? Am I just someone who is, you know, associated to a title at a job? Do I identify myself as someone who is culturally passionate? So you talked about being from an immigrant family. Where is your family from? What country? 
All over. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my mother was born and raised in Nassau, Bahamas. So all my like most of my first and second cousins are from Nassau, Bahamas. But my mother's parents um, migrated to the Bahamas from Haiti. Mm-hmm. So I have like um, my maternal grandmother from Haiti, and then um, an extended cousins as well. And on my dad's side, my my paternal grandmother, so my dad's mom is from Honduras, which mm-hmm. is in Central America. So in my family, I hear Spanish, I hear Creole, I hear French. And then my dad's, dad's side of the family is like Southern. They're from West Point, Mississippi. <laughs> so I just say I'm all over. And I love that because um, when I was creating Hugh Capital, my biggest thing was focusing on the intersection of business, tech, and culture. And just kind of hearing your journey and your background, you are the epitome of diverse <laughs> culture. Like you literally have a mixture of a little bit of everything. And I think that's yeah. so dope because it gives you a whole new perspective on kind of, you know, creating brands or even supporting brands brands who are trying to attract diverse groups of people. And you are the epitome of that. So Thank Facebook you. one, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it, period. Um, <laughs> But before we get into the chunk of the seriousness of your career journey and even um, the matter of you creating Wealthly, I actually want to ask you a question about your experience during COVID, right? I think that obviously we always want to jump to the fruit of the conversation, but we're not really checking in on each other. So how has yeah. COVID been treating you and your family? Ooh, um, I think the first few weeks of COVID, like March, I was just like, okay, this is weird. Um, I really didn't think it was going to last more than a month. Like, I, I felt like it was something that was happening in China. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for them. I hope they fix it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, mm-hmm. Who are they going through over there? But, like, mm-hmm. I've never in a million years would have thought, like, it would hit, like, the rest of the world. Yep. Um, so I think it was, like, the first few weeks, it was, like, in shock. And then I was just like, okay, this is getting serious when they shut down all of Facebook. And I'm like, it's a huge organization. So for them to do that, yep. and I mean, shut down, like the building is closed, don't come in. That's when I was like, all right, I knew this. And that hit our like California and Seattle office first before the East Coast got affected. So I kind of had a heads up before a lot of my friends and family on the East Coast because they were already putting things in place on the West mm-hmm. Coast. Um, but I would say like the first month or two, I actually was pretty depressed. Like I'm a very social person. I like to go out, I like to talk, I'm like, I'm at brunch, I'm at this event, that event. And so I didn't realize I was like falling into a funk. Mm-hmm. My fiance was actually like, you not going out, you staying home, like, let's mm-hmm. go for a walk. So I had to like do things to pull myself out of it. So I think like for me, that was like the first effect of COVID. And then secondly, just like helping out family and friends. I have a lot of family members who work in the healthcare <clears throat> industry. My mom and my grandmother still work in the healthcare industry. And so like anxiety around them having like the first access to patients that could possibly be sick. So a lot of anxiety. But since then, I mean, things have gotten better. Like I feel like people are putting things in place. I'm just like, my business is actually picked up. Wealthly's picked up. Wow. I have a lot of people who have either been laid off or furloughed or they you know, want to do something because a recession is coming. Yes. Want to prep for that. Yep. So I've been doing a lot of conversations with clients, new clients, and um, like staffs with different companies and like helping them prepare for that. And I'm glad you were so transparent about that because I myself identify as an extrovert. I mm-hmm. literally consider myself to be the person who feeds off of the energy of large yes. people. I'm always amongst a larger community. So for me to kind of be that person who now has to stick inside of their home and just be in front of a computer, I don't watch TV. 
that's also another thing that I don't really engage with. So for me, it's kind of like, how do I supplement the time that I would have spent outdoors engaging with different people and yeah. find something that's comfortable at home for me? And I've never been that person. Literally since 13 years old, my parents have been literally holding me by the, by the ponytail to keep me <laughs> home. And I've just never been that person. I've always been a street girl, then got yeah. away anything crazy in the street. But it was a matter of just me really being out there. And I think that for people like us, it's always going to be very difficult to be confined to our homes. But yeah. as I talked about before, it's a matter of finding that kind of cycle that works for you while we are still experiencing this. Because it will be. Because introverts are probably loving this. Like, woo! Oh, loving it. Absolutely loving it. It's <laughs> for them. They enjoy this. Not <laughs> So um, we're gonna kind of we're gonna start getting into the UX journey of everything. Um, so I actually titled this episode um, "From Banking and FinTech into UX Research." Right. Okay. So what I'd love for you to do is kind of go into more detail from how in the world did Latoya go from banking and FinTech and somehow discover UX and end up at Facebook? What did that journey look like? Yeah. So um, I think like. The reason why I even decided to major in finance and to go into that industry like while I was in college mm. is because I saw how much finances like affected the people around me, so family and close friends, especially being from an immigrant background. So like I remember my mom, like after my parents divorced, uh, she was a single mother, but I remember her like working full time at the hospital. And then around the holidays, she would like pick up a second job on the weekends. And, and all my family members did that. Like everyone had like two or three jobs. Mm -hmm. And I went to uh, predominantly uh, white high school. Um, I went to a performing arts school for middle school and high school. So I dance, I train, I'm trained in ballet and modern. So I was like exposed. <laughs> I still dance. I actually had a dance show like a year and a half ago. Um, but so I had like my 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 school was diverse, but predominantly like white. But then I would see these my classmates and like the the student parking lot looked better than the teaching parking lot. And I would be like, well, what does your parents do? Like, you know, and then so that's when I found out like their parents were like doctors or lawyers or business people. And they were talking to their kids about like investing and real estate investing and and they were going on vacation. Like it just was a world that I just didn't, I wasn't like, I never heard of, wasn't exposed to it. Yeah, and so I was like, hmm, okay. Not necessarily like, I don't have a love for money, but I like, I see money as a tool and like what can this tool do for people? And so whether, and not, I'm not into like showy type things, but more like, vacations for family or someone is someone is sick like you can help them out like and i wanted to learn how money works so that's i mean it's like long story but like the reason why i like went down that direction is so, the kind of thing we time in right here, so do you feel like money does money can at least equate to freedom right do you feel like money is something that shouldn't be looked at as evil but if you're using it for the right reasons it's something that can free you and your family from struggle from poverty exactly from you are trying to break Exactly. I don't think anyone should love money. Um, right. I don't think money is evil. Right. I don't think that you should use money only for like material things. But I just see it as a tool to make your life easier. Yep. So like I wanted to learn how to mm -hmm. use this tool, make this tool, grow this tool, mm -hmm. and then have everyone else learn how to use it as well to make their lives easier. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so I, you know, went to school, got an internship in New York from Florida. Um, and right after undergrad, they gave me an offer like my senior year in school. So I 
had a job right out of, out of school, which was great. Yes. Um, and then I worked in I worked in finance and banking for two years at Citigroup, but it was like right around that first recession, um, oh. 2007, 2008. So it was weird. I remember like people getting laid off on my first day at work. Like a whole team of thirty people were laid oh, off. Just starting at that time. And then I experienced a lot of ageism because a lot of my teammates were oh, older, maybe yeah. like in their forties and fifties. And here I am, you know, twenty-two, mm. and I'm doing their job, and they're probably paying me less. So I had like a lot of older people who didn't want to teach me how to do certain things or mm. weren't very friendly. And I was like, I didn't realize until after the fact, like, oh shoot, I went through ageism at work. Yeah. And that's a real thing in the workplace. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just trying to make this money. I'm not trying to take yeah, your job. Right. I a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But did that for a year and a half. And um, it taught me two things. It taught me that no matter where I work, I need to have my own business. So the yes. following year, I ended up starting an event planning company with two girlfriends called Posh Agency. I did not know that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so I think like a year and a half into that. So it was, we had an event planning company. We had that for four years. Um, because I saw so many people get laid off, I was like, I never want to only have one stream of income. Um, and then I realized I didn't like banking so much, at least at the corporate level. It was just, I was bored. It was boring. I walked in. I was like, this is dry. Yeah. I didn't love it. And it's yeah. not what I wanted to do. Like, I wanted to help people. And at yeah. that point, I was just doing corporate banking. So um, left that. And then I ended up going to JP Morgan Chase. And I did, like, business banking and personal banking. So, like, oh, like a local branch you would see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there for five and a half years, but I was on the Upper East Side. So I was in a very, very wealthy, wealthy like location. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because when you get into retail banking, they you get hired and they put certain people in certain locations. So I found mm-hmm. it very interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so you have some bankers who are doing well because mm-hmm. of the area that they're in, and then you have some people who are not doing well as bankers because they're not in like a lucrative like industry, which is why you saw that whole scam with Wells Fargo. I don't know. Yes. If you yep. mm-hmm. Years ago when bankers were like opening up accounts and yep. doing shades because they probably weren't making any money. So yep. anyways, I won't go into all that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, like played, but mm-hmm. yeah, so I just like learned a lot about the financial industry. Mm-hmm. Some things I love, some things I felt like needed to be changed. Um, but while I was at JP, I really got to work one-on-one with people. And that's where I fell in love with like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to help people, um, help them with their money, help them with their credit, help them with business banking. I found that a lot of people, especially people of color, would start businesses, but like their businesses didn't make money. They yep. didn't get approved for loan. They didn't know how to grow and scale their business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would have another client who didn't know how to do all this stuff, and their business is making like half a mil or more. Mm-hmm. And so that's like an educational gap. So I was that's like, I, yeah, I really wanted to like help people. That's how I got into like banking. And now you want me to go into my transition yep. to tech? Yeah. <laughs> So like, um, I didn't even get into that. So do you feel like kind of transitioning from corporate banking and kind of being in that more retail banking experience made you realize, all right, you know what? I think I need to be in a more consumer facing role. Like exactly. you? Okay. Good. And I think okay. like finance is broad, like every other industry is broad. You have to mm-hmm. like really hone in and see what works best for you and what works for your personality. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was too chatty to be in corporate banking. 
And all, like, all I did was like look at my screen and like look at numbers. Yeah, we have meetings, but I thrive off of human human interaction. So I knew it would not work for me. So I did love consumer banking because I had like clients that I would see every day who knew me. I knew them. Um, yeah, and that's probably why I was there for so long. <laughs> felt that, felt that. Yeah. And now we can get into betterment and UX and everything. Like, how did you go from someone who was studying finance in undergrad and now saying, all right, listen, that is not what I studied in undergrad in terms of UX. Now I got to figure out how am I going to break into this new industry? So yeah. how did that even come about? So when I was at JP Morgan, well, when I was at Citigroup and an intern, I had a manager who told me, and I I, I need to find her. I cannot find her, but <laughs> yeah, no, I can't remember her last name. It was, this is like pre LinkedIn when I was an intern. Oh. I don't even remember her last name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember what she told me and she told me in my career, she's like, it doesn't matter where you go. If you work at a job and you were doing well and that company promised you something and they don't deliver, you leave. Mm. And that stayed with me. So the reason why I left JP, I was there for five and a half years. I got a promotion and I was supposed to be promoted to a business manager. And they told me like I had to wait a year because I had just gotten this promotion and, and, and banking sometimes like you can't get a new role until you've been in that role for a year. Mm. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll wait a year. And if they don't give me my promotion, I'm leaving. Wow. Yep. And a year came and went. And then like, I was like, all right, like, you know, where's my business manager promotion? And it was like the runaround again. I got a new manager. It's like, I had to reprove myself. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> and so I was just like, I might, how I got into tech and it wasn't really a thing I wanted to do, but my fiance at the time worked in tech and he was like going to work with like, sh like sneakers on yeah. and sports. And before, casual. Yeah, very casual. Yeah. Before he worked in a very corporate environment like me, so he would go to work in suits every day. Mm. And his company was taking him on like camping trips, yeah. like just like all the nice, nice fluff stuff. Mm -hmm. I like, Dang, I want to live like that. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> not doing this for me. That's why I wanted to get into tech. It just seemed like there was no weekends. Everyone had their own laptop. Like at JP, we were like stuck to our desk with our yep. computer, like very old school. And I just wanted a more flexible life. Of course. Um, and that's really why I got into tech. Mm -hmm. um, and so when and I, I just kind of chime yeah. in right there too, because one of the biggest things I always think about when we're choosing our next career step isn't always a matter of just saying, hey, I heard of a role that sounds really dope. I want to go for that. I think that it should really be a matter of is the lifestyle of the job or the role you're trying to get into something that fulfills what you need? And is your personal mission and vision something that aligns with that work as well? Exactly. So I thought you were kind of saying, well, it wasn't because I just love tech, right? It's more so I realized that the industry itself has adapted to this more remote, flexible work style that I know I need as an extrovert. So I love how yeah. you brought it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I knew that like going into like my future, like what I envision my life, being able to travel, having children, I need someone who's not going to be like, you have to be here at this time and this mm -hmm. time to prove my worth. Mm -hmm. And um, in banking, we call it show face. You, there's a lot of showing face, mm -hmm. who's present, who gets there first, who stays there late, who stays later than the manager. And I was over it. No, like we have lives. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that was like why I wanted to get into tech. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do into tech. I just wanted to get into the industry. Mm -hmm. And so when I first started applying, and this is the what I like to tell everybody is like have a strategy in place on what your goal, what is it that you're trying to do and how to get there. Because when I first started applying, I was just applying for everything. 
anything and everything, all different industry. I'm like, oh, that role sounds good. Let me apply there. Mm -hmm. And I did that for like three or four months and I got nowhere. Yep. Be honest about it. I love it. Maybe one or two phone calls and then nothing after that. Mm -hmm. And so I had to like, like, okay, this strategy is not working. I need something else. And so what I did differently is I, one, had somebody review my resume who was already in the industry. But then secondly, I was like, let me get more focused. If my background is all finance and I've been in finance for the last seven and a half years, why don't I apply to finance tech companies or fintech? But at first, when I first got, I was applying to like marketing tech companies, sports tech company, healthcare, Mm -hmm. like everywhere. And I'm like, that doesn't work. So if anyone's like listening and you're like, you want to switch careers, I say stay in the same industry first. Yes. Then once you get into the industry, then switch the role. Yes. It's hard to switch the industry and the role at the same time. So for me, I went from finance, corporate finance to finance and tech. Then once I got into FinTech, then I learned to become a UX researcher. And now like I'm in the position where I can become a UX researcher in all these different companies in different industries. Love it. Yeah. So that's like a a good strategy I say to use. And I'm so happy you said that too, because like I said, even for you and I, we actually connected because I needed like some serious advice. I was like, please Lord, put someone in my life to kind of give me some clearance, give me some guidance. Because like I said, I knew I cared about healthcare, but I realized that technology is something that shouldn't just be looked at as an industry. It's a tool, right? Like technology is really something that you create or you utilize to solve problems across all different aspects of life, right? When we think about tech, we think computers, we think phones. In reality, your spoon is technology, right? And the reason why it's technology is it was designed to help you eat easier. And I think that as long as we start looking at technology as something like that, we'll see how important it is for us to know more about it, no matter what industry you're in. Yeah. So you to kind of talk about how I knew I wanted a change in role in industry or whatever it is. You knew that being in finance was, you know, what it was, right? Yeah. <laughs> you knew you couldn't do that big jump. Like, all right, I'm just going to go from finance to whatever. And you kind of created a little pace for yourself. And yeah. I found myself doing something very similar. So I feel like I can definitely attest to what you're saying. I think that's the perfect strategy. Otherwise, you'll be lost. Yeah. And I tell people it takes time. A lot of times I have people who hit me up on LinkedIn. And they're like, how did you get to Facebook? And I'm like, I did not just jump into I'm this world. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't work that way. Like I mm-hmm. wasn't, wasn't even my goal to get to Facebook. My goal has always been to just be a really good UX researcher and be good at what I'm doing no matter where I am. Mm-hmm. So I tell a lot of people, I didn't apply to Facebook. Like Facebook recruited me. I wasn't looking to leave. And so I tell people who are like, you know, you just want to go from A to like B. Like, no, mm-hmm. it takes time and steps. It took me three and a half years mm-hmm. before I felt comfortable for a big tech company like Facebook. I didn't just decide to be a UX researcher and then like a month later, I'm like, I'm going to Facebook. Like, so I tell people like, give give yourself grace and then also be realistic on right. what it takes to have change. And even to be realistic, right? So for example, you were talking about your transition, but how did you gain the knowledge of UX research, right? Like, did you go to school? Did you go to a boot camp to take a class? How did you kind of familiarize yourself with that topic? Yeah, I mean, with anything that I do, and I should have known I would be a researcher because anything I do, I always would research anyways. Like yep. naturally research everything. Uh-huh. And I found for me, at least when I was trying to become a UX researcher, like one, there was not that many like people of color or there still isn't a lot of people in color. Now more, cause I'm, I guess more senior. So I know people 
or in different states, not necessarily in New York. Uh -huh. um, but like self-education, right? Like you can't uh -huh. rely on everybody else. So I knew I wanted to become a UX researcher and I did everything that I needed to do to get there. Um, about books, I joined Slack groups. I would go to networking events. I would go to conferences. I took, uh, I did take a class at General Assembly, but General Assembly alone isn't that helpful. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people were like, well, I took a class at GA and I can't get a job. I'm like, you're one class or you're <laughs> boot camp. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna get you into these tech companies. Like sure. it might help with, I think more with the relationship mm -hmm. building aspect and like help you with terminology. But it's just not like guaranteed just because you took a boot camp mm -hmm. or a workshop class at General Assembly, you're automatically going to get it. And, and actually, a lot of times the product teams and some of these like design teams, they don't like people from boot camp because, oh, talk about in, yeah, because they come in a little entitled or they come in like I know it all or they come in um, not really like refined, mm -hmm. open to grow and develop. And so a lot of times, like <laughs> now that I'm like in the process of being able to interview, sometimes these boot campers are like, nope, they don't even want you. No way. Just like that? Yeah, from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. So wait, so for you, you did the class, not the boot camp. I took a workshop. A workshop. Okay, so that I love. And the reason why I love that is I did have a follow-up question in terms of what kind of soft and hard skills you think that someone needs to be a great UX researcher. But before we even get into that part, how did you self-teach yourself, right? I know that people are always talking about maybe they want to join a boot camp because they don't have the discipline to like kind of put together their own little curriculum. So how I did you work so, I think so. In addition to like self-education, I also like learned on the job. So when I got into Betterment, I was actually hired for a different role. Uh -huh. And there was a UX research team, um, a part of my org. Uh -huh. So when I once I got into it, I sort of was doing the same role of Betterment that I did when I was at JP Morgan. I was like helping clients with their investment portfolio, talking to them, uh -huh. all that. But then I was like, okay, now I want to switch into the tech side of a tech company because every company has like a tech side and then they have like the business side. So like your marketing team, HR, sales. Mm -hmm. So I was on the business side of a tech company. Mm -hmm. So, But I wanted to be on the tech side of a tech company. So I like looked at product managers and I wanted to know like, what is it, what is it that you do? How yep. your day to day? Do you like it? Um, how, like I didn't ask them how much money they were making, but I would ask for their salary range or I'll go online and Google it. Um, then I would have lunch with someone who's an engineer. I have lunch with someone who's a data science, someone who's a UX designer and someone who's a UX researcher. Like the whole workplace. I love yeah. that. So like if you like you if you're at a company already and you know you have people in different roles that you're interested in, ask them out for lunch, ask them out for coffee. And I just did a roulette. Like every week I went out with someone else to find out what they did. And then I was like, okay, out of all of these, I like UX research the most. And so because we had a UX research team, it was very small, like two people, mm -hmm. I befriended them. And then I was like, hey, you know, if you need help, can I help you? And at first they'll say no. But then if someone's asking you for help, like every day, every week, you're gonna be like, yes, help me. Mm -hmm. And so by little, I would like do work for that team, like during my lunch hour, before work, after work, on a weekend. So I sort of learned on the job. I was sort of doing two jobs. At the same time. At the same time. And then I also was doing a lot of self-education because I was really trying to accelerate how quickly I can get out of there to get into what I want because I knew it was lucrative. Like you make, right. you can make good money as a UX researcher. 
I love it. So I do want you to clear something up real quick. And I know that you're always annoyed by this question because UX researchers probably always get asked this, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you differentiate yourself as a UX researcher from a UX designer? Oh, they're really two different functions. Talk about it. Like completely different things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes companies don't, who put the role yeah. out, they don't understand UX at all. So they think it's the same thing. So sometimes when I have recruiters yeah. who like message me, I'm like, hey, I'm a UX researcher, not, not a designer. And it literally says research and designer. Like those are two different things. So I don't yeah. know why people, what I think some startups are trying to do is they're trying to save money by hiring one person who could do yep. both. Yep. So some designers can do research but not thorough research. Like they'll mm -hmm. do quick usability testing, mm -hmm. quick little interviews, um, but most researchers can't design. Mm -hmm. So one is like an actual, like someone who can design websites and buttons and looks and feels, and they build it out and give it to the engineer versus a UX researcher. I'm like looking at analytics and I'm analyzing that data. I'm conducting interviews. I have those soft skills. Um, and the reason why I say it's different because I've worked with designers who hate research. Really? Mm. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't like research. They don't mm. want to do it. And they hate when people try to make them do research because they like yep. to design. They're more creative. Yes, exactly. And that's the thing that they like to do. Like they don't want to conduct interviews and, and go right. scheduling and, and write research reports. They hate it. Yep. So talk about what your team would look like then, right? Because if you're saying that you are responsible for the research, someone's designing it, because your team look more so like, hey, I'm Latoya, I'll do all the research, I'll gather all this information, create some type of hypothesis from it, whatever it is, and pass it on to my designers, or is there a different cycle? What does that look like? Yeah, so it depends on how large the organization is. Mm -hmm. So usually the research team will work with the data science team. If you don't have a data science team, then it's probably a product analyst. Yep. So basically, if you're a, a good organization, now, I'm not say good, but like an organization with strategy. Yes. You would use research and data to make decisions. That's right. You're not an organization. And I've worked for some companies who don't use research and data to make decisions. It's like someone who's like, I have this idea. Okay, let's do it. And then like you don't find out until later that I was that was not a good idea. And now you don't lost all this money because you didn't mm -hmm. research or strategy. So in a in a well thought out tech company and how it works at Facebook is research and data. We'll pull information and then from there, like we'll deliver those insights to product or to the designers, and then it goes down like the process like that. Perfect. Okay, good, good, good. So I'm thinking a little bit based off of what you just said. I kind of want you to give us some insight into your day-to-day, -day, right? Because I'm thinking back to your interest in tech to begin with, right? You were saying, listen, yo, I need more flexibility, I need more time, right? Because a black woman in this industry where you realize it's not as you know much representation and you want a certain lifestyle, do you feel like you're experiencing what you've been looking forward to? I do. Okay. Yeah, I do. Okay. And if I wasn't, I would leave. Like I'm the type like of- the last one, yeah. yeah. If I'm not happy, I don't like what I'm doing, then I would leave. Mm -hmm. So I do get to, and, and maybe because I'm older, so I definitely feel like I can be myself. Um, I can call things out. I call people out. <laughs> As you should. Um, and so, and obviously I do it in a professional way, but I'm not like styling like I was maybe in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. I saw things and saw microaggressions and just like sucked it in. So I definitely don't do that. And then as a UX researcher, like my day-to-day -day varies. Like sometimes I am like heads down, focusing on what I need to focus on. I'm working on a project or I'm working with vendors 
I'm meeting up with, or now it's virtual, virtual meetups with other researchers mm-hmm. or spending like one-on-one with my product manager or engineering manager or like a sync with the designer. So it really, every day is different. Mm-hmm. Are, you know, relax and not too crazy. I might have like a meeting or two, or there's some days I have like eight or nine meetings. So really awesome. very so do, have you ever experienced like a crazy moment on the job? Like, why did this happen? Why is this happening? Like, have you ever had that aha moment? Like, yo, what's going on? I feel like the crazy, the crazy times for me as a UX researcher is probably like the days that you're conducting interviews with users. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. probably like the most like, can't control it. It's always something like <laughs> some people are like off into their own little world. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's not what I asked you. Let's bring it back in. <laughs> Or, um, you know, we sometimes do them virtually. Um, usually I do them in person, but now oh. with COVID, um, everyone's doing remote research. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just never know what you're going to get. Like people just say all off the wall type things. And sometimes they're really good, like user interviews and people like really share themselves depending on where you're asking. So those are probably the crazy moments is when I'm like speaking to users. Okay, awesome. So as we kind of get to the, um, towards the near, um, the near end of the podcast episode, um, I do want to talk a little bit more about your foundership journey, right? So mm-hmm. once again, like you've been very persistent in stating, listen, I don't mind working, right? I don't mind having a job, but I do recognize that this cannot be the only thing that I rely on to survive. So like yeah. how did you tap into that mindset? I know you talked about your background and your family working multiple jobs, but like how did you know like I'm not gonna just, you know, be a random financial advisor. I'm gonna create a full-on platform that women know that they can use and rely on. Yeah. I think, well, for me, because I've always knew entrepreneurship was, like, important. I re- my first job, I remember I was 13, um, and I worked for a family friend in Miami, Florida. He owned an accounting company. Oh. So my first job, I was giving everyone their refund checks. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, that was my first job. So, Can I be honest with you? What? Um, accounting was my first job. Oh, really? Yes. Literally the only job I had before college for three years in high school. That's crazy. Yeah. I would, I would, people would come in, they would show me their driver's license. I would look mm-hmm. at their, their dress, look at the check, and I would make them sign off. And I did like other office like duties. But, um, but he was a, a family friend who was a black man. And I was like, oh my God, like I, this is a man who owned his own business and his family was coming by. And he was like supporting and building his community. So for me, I, I was exposed to entrepreneurship like very early. And I didn't realize it until like I sat down and thought about it. Like that was my first exposure to entrepreneurship. So I knew it was always something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because once you do become an entrepreneur and I, I do it, I do it so well that people think I do it full time. Like people forget that I have a full time job. <laughs> not, not now because I'm at Facebook, so Facebook is so big, so people do associate me with Facebook. But before right. I was at Facebook mm-hmm. um, and at uh, all my other companies, a lot of people would forget that I had a full time job. Mm, that's a good thing, though. That's not a bad yeah, thing. No. So yeah, I think. Um, I, well, your question was around why did I want to do entrepreneurship? Yeah, so how did you go into entrepreneurship? Like, how did you know that creating this company was the way for you to fulfill what you love doing in finance? Yeah, that when I started at Citigroup, my first job out of college, and I saw all those who would get laid off. Mm-hmm. He, that was like, that will never happen to me. And if it does, I'm mm-hmm. going to be prepared. That's so right. Even two years ago, I was working at this e-commerce startup, and I was only there for like five months. This is right before I started working at Oscar Health, and they went out of business. 
Um, I was only there for five months. It was a really good job. I was so excited. I was a senior UX researcher. They went out of business and I didn't, I didn't worry. Like I had savings, I had investments, and then I have my, I have a side business. I won't even go into that because I know I do a lot, but I have a consulting, <laughs> I have a consulting, a consulting company and I've had this consulting company this summer made it five years. So when I got laid off from this, eco, this is before I started Wealthly, but when I got laid off from um, this e-commerce startup, I have maybe two, three weeks later, I have booked a corporate contract for my consulting company. And that corporate contract was for $11,000. Yeah, it was my first corporate contract. And so oh. I, was able to, I was able to live off the money I made from this corporate client and then my that startup I work for gave everyone like a severance for like a month or two. But what it taught me is like, okay, I have to always have something like this. So if I ever get laid off or I like where I'm working or the manager that I'm working for, um, and I want to be able to make decisions, if somebody in my family's sick and I need to take care of them, I need to be able to do what I need to do and know I'm not stuck to this job. And I think that's what entrepreneurship does. It gives you options. And when I decided I had that, I did consulting for three months and then I was like, all right, let me go back to work because I got engaged and I was like, I need to save for the wedding and whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it gave me the option also to take my time to find the right job. Because when you when you need money, anybody who says yes, you're like, yes, I'll take it. I know because I've, I've been in those positions where it's like, all right. I'm not working. Whoever gave me the first offer, I'm taking. I'm taking it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but when I became an entrepreneur and I was able to generate money on my own, I didn't have to do that. So I would go into these companies and interview these other startups, and I'd be like, "Hmm, the only black person here is the front desk receptionist." Not mm -hmm. here. And they're like, and "I remember this person that they interviewed me. They wanted me to come back, and I was like, no, no, thank you.' And I don't know if they asked me, and I was like, I just I don't feel like your company is diverse enough. And then, yeah, no. It gives me options. I yeah. somewhere else. I really, um, I like the work, but the commute would have been like too far, and everyone was like very old, and they weren't innovative. It just wasn't a good fit for me, and I said no to them. I had another interview with a woman. Um, it was a fintech company, and she was just cold. Like everybody else on the team was very nice and bubbly, and I really liked the company and the work that they were doing, but the hiring manager, which would have been the person I reported to, was cold. And I was like, mm, this is a, mm -hmm. I feel like she's a Karen. I need to avoid this situation. Gotta get out of there, gotta get out, yup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went in and yep. this lady gonna make my life a living hell. I can see it Cause Karens be Karen in, that's right. In the first interview, I was like, nope. I've been here before, but yeah. so like having my own business just it allowed me to be selective when I wanted to interview, uh -huh. and it allowed me to say no. I, I turned down nine different offers. Yeah, no way. You know yeah. how amazing it is to be able to say people can't even get one offer that you were able to deny nine offers. Nine. Wow. I, and then I found Oscar, which I like loved, and then that's mm -hmm. what I ended up going with. But in between those three months of interviewing, it was like nine. I was like. Nope, nope, not unlike your salary, don't like your office. Mm -hmm. oh, you ain't got no black or Spanish people here. Like, mm -mm. But you know what? As you say all of that, how I summed it up was two things, right? Like your skill sets in entrepreneurship gave you confidence where mm -hmm. you know that you know what you deserve, you know what you're capable, and you will not settle, right? But number two, you honestly have control. Like you mentioned, you can select what opportunity you want. You're not yeah. forced into one lane. You don't need to, you know, 
I guess you can say settle for one lane. Like, you know, you have more control over what you want to do and where you deserve to be. And I think everybody needs that kind of freedom and liberty. But obviously, they have to embrace entrepreneurship. They have entrepreneurship definitely gives you confidence like no other because you're not fearful to lose your job. Exactly. And you're you're not fearful. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> All right. OK, so we're going to wrap it up a little bit. But um, before we finally close it out, my final question to you would be, for anybody who is trying to enter the UX space, what trends do they need to be aware of? What is happening in the UX world right now? Where it's like, if you are entering an interview, if you are trying to be a thought leader, what kind of topics should you start creating opinions or informing yourself about? Oh man, I wouldn't say like UX is trend, like trendy like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Am I, am I out of it? Like, am I looped out? I don't know. Um, I would just say like, as a you, if you're trying to be an aspiring UX researcher, like just do a lot of self education, mm-hmm. and like know that if you're transitioning from like a different industry, it will be a challenge. But like, don't stop, keep going. Mm-hmm. But just self education, like read the books, read the articles, watch the videos, like know it in and out, and then become confident in it. Awesome. And to that student or young professional who's feeling kind of lost or hopeless right now, what words of advice do you have for them? Uh, I know that feeling. Um, I say like, yeah, just take a week off. Take a week off. Don't apply any jobs. Like, if you need two weeks, take two weeks, and like really just decompress <laughs> and then go back at it. Because if you're constantly applying and constantly getting rejected, and I've been there, it starts to like on you. So like, take some time off and then re-strategize and then go back, go back at it. Thank you. Again, Latoya, I do want to say thank you all. Thank you so much. Um, To everybody who tuned in, you know, please feel free to follow her on LinkedIn or follow her on whatever platform maybe you feel comfortable. What we'll do is we'll put it in the description below the video and check in with her. I'm sure she can help you out. All right, y'all. All All right. Thank you again, Latoya.